Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'm afraid to announce Maniacs Live will not be happening this evening, as planned, because <laughs> the script isn't good enough. I'll be flying to Brussels tomorrow, try and get some better material before rescheduling the show, possibly for January. <laughs> the rest of the team are right behind me as I do my best to respect the will of the Patreon backers and deliver a Maniacs Live in which we are point makers, not point takers. <laughs> if the negotiators do not give me the smooth segues and topical gags I ask for, we must be prepared to walk away and give the Leicester Square Theatre slot to a popular panel show comedian. <laughs> no, I've changed my mind again. <laughs> we'll do it, we'll do it. I'm Dorian Linsky and I've got three Romaniacs regulars with me. Ros Taylor is the research manager for the Truth, Trust and Technology Commission and an in-depth Brexit wonk. This is her first Romaniacs live since February, so she's rejoining the show like a freedom of movement Robbie Williams rejoining Take That. <laughs> Hello Ros, we hope you're back for good. <laughs> Cheers. Did, obviously you didn't think Brexit was a good idea, but did you ever think the negotiations would, would turn out quite like this? Yeah, I did actually. I thought, <laughs> I thought that we would gradually realise it would gradually dawn on people just what a shit idea this was. And then there'd be a kind of scrabble at the end and that's actually what's happened pretty much. And we thought that you know, David Cameron was meant to be the kind of essay crisis prime minister and Theresa May was meant to be the, the head girl. Um, not so much. It's, it's, it's the head girls who are the most screwed up ones. <laughs> That's how you sound like you know. Do you speak personal about experience? That? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no, 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 no. I was anti-head girl. <laughs> also, here is Ian Dunt, editor of politics.co.uk, regularly seen on TV news in the beloved role of exasperated Brexit man. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, very well. Thank you. Actually, not really that well. It's been fucking terrible, but yeah. <laughs> uh, in shock, didn't know what to do. <laughs> they clapped. What? Um, as a, you're, our, you're our Marvel Comics man. And Here it comes. <laughs> next year's Avengers movie, uh, which is going to be about going back in time to stop a catastrophic decision that makes half the population disappear... <laughs> <laughs> will be called uh, Avengers Endgame. Is this, uh, is this Theresa May's Endgame? Like how... I really how, see what you've done here. How much, do you see what I did? I took a thing from over there and yeah. a thing from over there and I put them together. <laughs> it's always the same thing as well. It's, it's always, always like basically every week it's just like, here's a comics thing and here is your catastrophic political life. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it is her endgame. I used the endgame for the Brexit thing a couple of times, and I'm now glad to see that Marvel Studios is catching up with me. I also kind of feel like the Avengers films... Uh, you're going to have to stop me if I start talking about this for more than seven or eight minutes. The Avengers films have kind of, like, sort of replicated politics for a while. So 2012 was when the first one came out, full of hope. We're having the Olympics. Everything felt quite good. Then there was Civil War, you know right after the Brexit vote. Then you had sort of like Thanos arrives and it's sort of like the death of all hope. That was this year. <laughs> And then there's Endgame. So it doesn't look like things are going to work out terribly well for us next year, if my theory is indeed correct. <laughs> I think they'll sort it all out in the next film. It'll be fine. It's possible. It is possible. Mm. We just need the same scriptwriters as them. And finally, thank God we have a professional performer with us. Ingrid Oliver is the actor, comedian and director, possibly best known as Osgood from Doctor Who. And she wrote and directed that fantastic viral video earlier this year in which the very British reserve cracks and people end up overturning tables in restaurants and throwing dog poo back at people who left it on their lawn. <laughs> Hi, Ingrid. Hello. I, I, feel weirdly I feel like I'm weirdly close to you. 
Not, no, I'm going to, I'm going to move here. No, not in a, no I'm offense. Close, I'm, I'm slightly there. Was good, better. Everyone's that feels more. Out. There we That's go. There good. we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, um, you were born in Germany, were you not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, does, do the Germans perhaps have a word for for taking pleasure in the misfortune of others that <laughs> that might be relevant? Uh, not that I know of. No. <laughs> Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Are you one of those uh, fortunate dual passport people who can just um, get out of this? I am. Uh, and weirdly, I don't know why, like this is like an, an episode of show and tell. I, I brought it with me. <laughs> That's what it looks like, people. <laughs> Ta- yeah. Oh, no, it's mine. It's so red. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's actually almost identical to the, well, the UK passport. Um, I, I got it immediately as soon as... as uh, Brexit, as, 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 as the referendum vote uh, became uh, known. And I, I got my passport and I felt really guilty because I almost, when I got it through the post, it was very efficient, the German embassy. <laughs> it was a matter of, I, I went to this embassy, a matter of minutes, had it all stamped, done, got it sent in the post, no problems. And um, I almost cried when I got it because it sort of symbolically meant quite a lot. Um, that I could open my, my croissant shop in Paris uh, if I ever choose to do that, um, but I also so I sort of but I also felt quite guilty that my other friends don't don't have it. So I felt like Kate Winslet in the Titanic when she's on that piece of wood, <laughs> and I was like, I've got I've got my passport. Uh, everyone else is Leonardo and DiCaprio, and I'm like, oh, see ya. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I have survivor's guilt. Um, so it's a very pressured week, month, year, epoch, and um, I want to ask. Um, what are we doing? Are we doing anything in the, in the way of self-care? Is there anything that we're doing to alleviate Brexit stress? I, I use alcohol. Um, okay. it's, it's always worked very, very well for me. Um, so I, I, there's also, there is the switching off phone thing, but I don't have like a sort of set regime. But there is like a sense on the Saturday, Sunday, of I really don't want much contamination with, with news. And I'm kind of astonished. I see lots of my colleagues, I sort of other political journalists, who wake up on the Sunday, they're clearly watching, you can tell by the tweets, so they're clearly watching sort of political programming from about 8 a.m., and that will carry you through till about 2 p.m. on Sunday. And you're like, Really? Is that really what you want to do with the Sunday? And so there's at least, like, as long as you kind of just give yourself the weekend, if you can, it kind of, you, you don't feel some of the toxic hate, anxiety, and despair that you do on Monday to Friday, and that sort of helps out. That's good. Ros? Um, strictly, uh, weirdly, does it for me occasionally. I can't watch the whole thing because I can't bear those, those, those people. But those were... <laughs> No, I can't bear the screaming and the shouting. I just watch the dances and the clips, and then that's enough, and that's like a three-minute hit of pure non-Brexit. That's, mm. that's how I'm dealing with it. So, Ingrid, apart from your croissant shop, do you...? Um, well, I, I've realised that, like, like Ian said, I, there was a point, because as an actor, sometimes you don't work. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, and I was spending hours and days just reading, consuming Brexit news, as though that would help somehow. As they mean, me understanding everything would help the situation. And I've, I've just realised that I can step back from it. We, I, I've, there have been a lot of times when, when people know that, for example, you do Romaniacs, or that, you know, that you're interested in Brexit, they sort of feel that they have to talk about it a lot. So in, in big groups of people, I find people sort of go, well, what about this? And, and I've allowed myself to not contribute particularly to that, those conversations anymore. Because a lot of the time, it's with people you're not going to convince anyway or... People that are just, I, 
this is very bad of me to say, but you, can, you know that they've got bit snippets of things from places and they're not true. And for me to sort of personally rebu- rebut everything is exhausting. God, I sound like so precious. What a precious... <laughs> I can't give myself uh, as much as I would like. like I was I've stopped d- giving myself so much. <laughs> I was at my daughter's Christmas fair on Saturday and, and one of the dads came up and went, what, Brexit, hey? And what I meant to say was, well, you know, I do think about it quite a lot and I go, it's podcast and then you go, you know, so sometimes I try not to think about it and I just went, I'm off duty. <laughs> came off a little blunt. <laughs> but I'm on duty now. Um, there are probably a lot of regular listeners in here who've just come along for the hits. Ian on WTO rules, me on Orwell, that sort of thing. Um, but if you don't listen to the podcast and you're here by mistake... We usually talk about a handful of current Brexit news stories and then a couple of longer topics. Tonight we're going to try to look forward to 2019. What to look out for, what we can change, and how the year when we supposedly leave the EU will change British politics. And so that everyone's not completely depressed, we're also going to talk about what we call the proto-Brexit canon, uh, which is things that may have paved the way for Brexit. Is Britpot really to blame, or was it Jerry Halliwell's Union Jack dress, or the opening credits of Dad's Army? We will find out. And because it's Christmas, we've got a special gift for each of the panel under our EU-funded Brexmas tree, just covered in snowflakes. <coughs> we could not negotiate a bigger one, sadly. Uh, what will Father Brexmas have brought, everybody? Um, I also want to point out that there are signs saying no photographs, but that's famous people say that. Um, so you can take as many photographs as long as... We don't have a... Uh, even, maybe even video, probably you won't want to take videos, but we don't have a Netflix special that would be ruined by videos. So it's okay. Not yet. Not yet. Thank you. Yes, not yet. Perhaps if they answered their emails. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Leicester Square Theatre is famous for stand up comedy. Please enjoy our evening of Britain's sit down tragedy. <laughs> Firstly, the topic dominating the news today, if you don't know if you've seen it. It's the meaningful vote, which this morning we wrote the first version of the script, was still supposed to happen tomorrow, and yet not. <laughs> Theresa May said she'd bring the country together, and she has. Pretty much everyone thinks she's a terrible Prime Minister. <laughs> Last we looked, she couldn't even get the votes to delay the vote. The Commons Brexit Committee says the deal is a huge step into the unknown. The Tory writer claiming that if and when May loses the vote, she must step down. So there's a leadership contest for us all to look forward to. And Jeremy Corbyn insists he'd do a better deal but he won't say how or what will be in it because he's a, he's a man of mystery. <laughs> Ian, in terms of sort of monumental parliamentary weeks, um, you know, from, from history, are we in, without sounding too like the day-to-day, is this history? Are we in history right here? Like, well, how, does the, how does this sort of measure up? What would be the sort of precedent for this kind of... Oh, I asked that today, actually, because I was trying to think, like, what could be more catastrophically fucked up than what we're looking at? And I was thinking, like, it's not Suez, not at all. Like, Suez was pretty minor compared to this. It just involves a bunch of sort of humiliation. But we're way past humiliation at this stage of the current, you know, way past it. Uh, you know, Black Wednesday. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, Iraq sort of is, it, it has consequences that were bigger than this, I think, because also not just in terms of lives, but in terms of you know, what that does to Western foreign policy, what that does to trust in government, and potentially that goes further. But honestly, when I was thinking just in terms of just pure, undistilled, systematic cock-up, I was sort of thinking, like, I don't know, rump parliament of the late 17th century is... 
like pretty much you'd just be like that. Everyone there was fucking up badly, and it went. It ended up with a military dictatorship. So that was like not not a great moment for English politics. And I sort of think like we're, we're like the, just quantitative level of cock up. We're about there right now. And if the deal happens, if the vote happens and it is voted down. There's so many... I mean, I know we're in this kind of no, William Goldman kind of nobody-knows-anything kind of situation. Um, but what, what, would you, what do you feel at the moment is going to be the most likely consequence of it being voted down? Oh, and does the I fact that know. she's put it back make it less easy for her to survive it being voted down? Maybe. I, I, but I think she's... I mean, look, basically, I don't know how to answer any of those questions, so I'm going to answer a different one. Um, <laughs> like, I thought, like, t- t- today she did probably what was the smartest thing for her, which is just delay. And she's defined by that tactic, really. It's all she has done for two and a half years. There's a problem. It's seemingly insurmountable. So you just delay and put it off for another day. And now we keep on thinking, finally, we've got to the, to the day. In fact, like yesterday, under any criteria, was going to be the fucking day. And then it's like, oh, no, she's delayed it again. So it's still not going to take place. And yet... That probably was the right thing for her to do in that it was really going to be rather difficult for her on the other end of that. And I can assess that by virtue of how positive I felt about what was going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> because um, I really felt like lots of the options that we explore, whether it's second referendum or extending Article 50 or anything else you think about, feel to me politically contingent on having defeated her deal first. And you can see that by the fact that Corbyn didn't want to do the no-confidence attempt today. There's, and, you know, everyone's taking the lesson off Rhys Mogg, you know, cocking up with the 48 letters. Because it's just like, that wasn't the time, right? The time isn't before the deal has been voted down. It's once the deal is voted down, all sorts of options present themselves. Now, she has pushed that away... And I, I think today was like some of the worst news we've seen in Brexit for some time when everything seemed to be going in our direction because you're putting off that moment when we can start making our own propositions because her proposition has demonstrably failed. Um, Roz, is there any meaningful way the EU will, will allow the deal to be amended? I mean, how, what, what's she hoping to, to get from going back? It's, re- it's really hard because she's talking about getting something more meaningful on the backstop. Um, but then that just shows that she doesn't understand what the backstop is because the whole point about the backstop is it, it, it has to exist. And it, it, anyway, let's not get into the backstop right now. But I, I don't see what else she can do. I mean, there's talk of her updating the, uh, rather than the withdrawal agreement, which would be what we agree with the EU, um, of her updating the political declaration. But what the hell difference is that going to make? We all know it was tosh anyway, and, and, and entirely aspirational. So I just, I, I don't see how she can possibly turn around that many MPs in Parliament by whatever she does. Um, and where is the, we have in the Rainiac studio a panic needle which swings towards and away from, that's what we spent all the patrimony on. It's very high tech. And it swings towards no deal and then away from no deal. Uh, where is the... It's also too fragile to transport to the stage. Um, where, where, where is the no-deal panic needle after the kind of the amendment? Actually, week? I don't think no-deal is any more likely. I just think we're getting into an end game where we are starting to realise just how crucially awful everything is and how 
you know, and time is, is, is ticking on. And as, as, no, as March approaches, the pressure becomes more intense not to go for no deal because we're, big, uh, we're finally realising what no deal means. You know, the Economist uh, last week finally got around, a uh, week before last, finally got around to doing a what do you, oh, no deal means thing. I mean, they should have done that two years ago. You know, it, 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 was, it was shocking that we have not got round to, doing no de- uh, to looking at what no deal means because everyone said it couldn't happen. And we had, unfortunately, to get to the stage where we were talking about it happening for us to come to grips with it. So, uh, yeah, I think it's no more likely. I think it's no more likely. I hope it's no more likely, please. Um, you know. <laughs> Ingrid, Esther McVeigh says she'd be up for leading the Tories, much as, as I would be up for headlining Glastonbury. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Um, now, obviously, there's a, there's a whole uh, murderer's row of candidates to unite the nation. Um, who have you got your eye on? Who do I fancy? Um, Well, I'm I'm not a Conservative, so I I don't have my eye on any of them. But as a Remainer, uh, I would, you know, the people that I would like to lead the Tory party as a Remainer are not people who are leaders and will not never get the leadership. People like Sarah Wollaston or... um, you know, Justine Greening, who have, who, have, who have showed some conviction and courage on the matter of Brexit, uh, they will not, as far as I can see, I don't think there's any chance of them. They're not, they're not leaders. You know, Sarah Wollaston is a very good uh, backbench MP. But um, I, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? What would happen? Because presumably if, if, um, if May, if, if a leadership contest is forced, that means that, that, that people have to field candidates from both sides of the spectrum, presumably. Or from all sides. There's, there's many sides now of this... It's a hexagonic, yeah. Um, it's got a lot of bloody sides because um, you know you'd have pe- you'd have people like the Anna Subris who are sort of who are maybe leaning towards a Norway-style deal. Then you have people who are just no deal Brexit, the Jacob rees mogs and then you have people who would like a second a second uh, referendum like Anna, Anna Subri. Um So who would win out of those people? I don't know because the, it, I mean. Uh, that I mean, presumably Theresa May, to, to her, I, I say to her credit, but she's the fact that she's postponed this deal. I mean, she's clinging on for dear life, and in some ways, I admire that because it's like, well, if 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 the vote had gone ahead tomorrow and she'd lost, and there was a there was a, a leadership election, she would she presumably believes she's the person best placed to deliver this. So whether that's a misplaced sense of duty to the country um, or not, I don't know, um, but. Yeah, who, who would come after her? Fuck knows. <laughs> well, presumably, I mean, there's part of me that would like to... I mean, obviously, I don't really want to see a hard Brexiter Prime Minister, but I would like to see them fuck it up yeah. and, and own it and not be able to say that, that, you know, stealth Remainers ruined it for them. Who would they... They would have to offer someone up. Offer yourself. Because they could... Presume, you know, as you say... If they actually they did they did manage to become leader of the Tory Party, it would then then be on their shoulders to deliver all the things that they the, promised. The month-long David Davis premiership, <laughs> just a, a comic interlude in British political history. <laughs> I think we we overstate this thing about them ever owning shit. <clears throat> they never will. Like, you know, Theresa May took over. She gives them everything. She gave them the Foreign Office, which is generous. She gave them an entire Brexit department of. God knows what purpose. She gave them the entire international um, trade department. She gets these prominent Brexiters. And at the time, if you remember, everyone was like, oh, she's being terribly clever, isn't she? Because she's making sure that they own it, right? You know, they've got to do... Have they owned it? Have they fuck? You know, like, they just... They run. 
Boris Johnson and David Davis speak as if they literally never held those positions for and 18 months. acted as if they didn't hold yeah, those positions. Yeah, well, they did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. to be fair. So there's just no... They never will, and even if they happen to be in the position all the way through, as Liam Fox is now, I mean, Liam Fox still speaks as if he is simultaneously the leader of the opposition and the government minister. <laughs> and even if they were there, they would eventually just blame Brussels, or they would blame immigrants, or they would blame a fifth column at home, the Remainers, the Ramonas who've destroyed it. They will never own a goddamn thing. They never, ever, ever will, because they're incapable of seeing their own failings. If they were to take a good, hard look in the mirror, they'd realise that they were the people that had done this to the country, rather than those who they actually end up blaming. As a performer, I know when the, pl- when the applause has happened, that's it, you move on. Come on. <laughs> Meanwhile, this morning, the European Court of Justice ruled that, yes, Article 50 can be unilaterally withdrawn, and we keep all our previous rebates and deals just like that. Michael Gove... <laughs> See that? Uh, we, we don't have the power to do that tonight. <laughs> but, but I'm glad you're all behind us. Um, Michael Gove and Shami Chakrabarti both immediately said it didn't matter, so it must matter. Um, Ros, is it as simple as it seems? Would you retain all the benefits and the rebate and a deal which at the time, of course, you know, David Cameron's deal was, was criticised, um, but now, of course, looks like dreamland. Um, is, is it really as simple as that, that if there were the political will, uh, you could just go, that's it? Yes and no. Um, no, but basically, what you've, what you've got to know about this is that it is to it is to go back to, to status quo, basically, and to it is not the offer to extend Article 50. It's the off- offer to say, right, that's it. Well, no, we're staying in with everything that we had before, which is great because some people said that we wouldn't get all the things that we had before if we stayed in. So that's welcome news. But it doesn't give us a lot of time, does it? It doesn't give us a lot of time until March the 29th to uh, decide whether we're going to remain in the EU. I mean, for us, of course, we have we don't need that time. But let's face it, you know, maybe the country does. Um, and w- it, it, basically, it's now if if that's going to happen, either Parliament has to say we're going to remain. I don't think Parliament can do that by itself, or there has to be a people's vote. Cheer, please. Yeah. <laughs> All there has to be a people's vote, and that has to happen in double quick time. So we can't have it before Christmas, and then you know January we're all kind of a bit knackered. So it's going to be February. Whoa, right? Um, that, that's going to be really a, quite a tight timetable. Now you could say that this shows that the European Court of Justice is showing willing, and maybe it would now be more willing to extend Article 50. I don't know if um, Ian has a view on whether that that's more likely, and perhaps they would be prepared to help us uh, help us space out this torture. Uh, a little longer before, so that we can probably make up our minds. Um, but it's a, it, I'm really pleased that the ruling came, and I'm really pleased that it came now, because it's kind of good, we've got a sense of urgency now, and it's come at exactly the right time. And also it shows that the ECJ is not a really evil bogeyman who it wants to stop Britain doing what it wants. It's actually saying, yeah, Britain... You, you can turn this round if you want. That's okay with us. That's cool. It's not stopping us from, from uh, achieving our full sovereignty, actually. Uh, and, and that also is very good, though that's not how the Brexiteers will spin it. Does that answer your question? It does. Oh, good. Um, Ian, obviously we talk about, you know, leavers and remainers. Um, and obviously there are, you know, very passionate people at the ends of both ends of the spectrum. Um, how big do you think the sort of just exhausted middle, they just want it 
to go away. Like if there was a, if there was, if Theresa May just was just like, I've got nothing left to lose, which I mean, she doesn't really have much. And she said, oh, let's just do it. Let's just revoke it. It's huge. Like what kind of, there's this assumption there'd be this kind of huge kind of, uprising of betrayal. Do you think actually a lot of people would just be like... That's bollocks. Oh. I, I think the riots in the streets is bollocks. I think very few people would know what they were rioting for, why they were rioting, um, what they wanted to achieve through the rioting and, and okay, so, you know, we know that uh, from France that people can riot a lot without being precisely sure what they want to achieve apart from <laughs> cheaper, cheaper fuel. But nonetheless, this, that isn't the way that Britain works. We tend not to riot. Uh, we prefer demonstrating, as we all know. And... Um, I don't think that there is an appetite in this country for mass civil disobedience for the sake of Brexit on the part of more than 2% of the population. That is my prediction, and I hope it's right. So what do you think... I mean, would you agree? And what do, I mean, what do you think the kind of... Because it would seem, on the face of it, a lot of people, a sort of outrageous thing to do. You can see why people go, well, you can't just overturn the... Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think... How big do you think the consequences would be? I mean, it's not going to happen, we should say, is it? What? Like, like they're not just going to go, Theresa May is just going to go out and go, fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> right. I didn't know it was that easy. It's so spontaneous. Yeah, yeah do it. She's just like, whatever, man, I went for a long walk. <laughs> In Switzerland. And, and Philip was just like, just fuck it, Tess, do it. <laughs> like, it's probably not going to happen. But I mean, is it kind of conceivable that, 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 that I, you know, that it could happen without dire consequences? Yeah, I think it could. Um, I also think that you're right to, to do that, to like separate out that thing of like anger over overturning and the other of just like just wanting it to go away. And there's a reason that May has just focused relentlessly on that message, which being like, this is how we just bring the argument to a halt, we start healing the division, all of this kind of stuff. That people do want the whole thing to go away. The trouble is, you know, you can't, I don't want to sound like the Rolling Stones, you can't always have what you want. And if you start, fucking in the engine room of a country, then it doesn't go away very quickly. In fact, it takes a really, really long time to do this. Stuff. Like even, obviously, the quickest way to make it go away is to hold another referendum to reverse the decision. But that doesn't put away the, sort of, the social and the political and the emotional and the tribal sort of demons that have come out of the box. If you do May's plan, you, you're looking at you know, at least seven years, probably more, if you put through sort of negotiation, implementation, ratification... And then, of course, trying to get trade deals somewhere else. And then just the general implications of just being a bit poorer and a bit less powerful and a bit meaner and a bit more inward-looking. If you were to do no deal, we'd be looking at the effects for the rest of our lives. And so the truth is people have to... It's sort of like you just have to... You can't, you can't, you can't just look them in the eyes and go, we can make it go away. Because we can't. It's not going to go away. This is going to be the thing that we're talking about for years, no matter what happens now. And anyone that claims otherwise to them is just trying to take that emotional need and use it for their own political calculations to go, I've got the one with the solution that will make it go away. And they are always, always, no matter what side they're on, they're lying. And also I have to say, as much as I, over the years, have just thought, God, if, can't someone just make it stop? And, and sort of wanting, wanting to have a government that will go, you know what, we've taken it all into consideration, but it, you are wrong, and so we're not going to do it. We're, we're beyond that point now, and you cannot, even if Theresa May, which would never happen, <laughs> never happen, um, was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to stop it. Um, I don't think that's, that's, that's not a good idea. Uh, that's, it's not, 
you, you can't have lied to a country and gone for two and a half years or whatever and said, it, this is all going to be fine, it's going to be brilliant, and then suddenly go, ah, no, made a mistake, I'm going to stop it. You have to bring the people with you, and you have to talk, and this is why she's been so duplicitous, as they all have, in this, is that they have not been honest with the people at any point, at any stage. So you can't just suddenly overnight go, actually, we were, li- we were, we were, we were lying, it's actually really hard, so we're going to stop it. You have to, there has to be some kind of process. You have to you have to work on the hearts and minds of people again. Otherwise, yeah, we'll be... It, uh, riots, I mean, I, I remember... What, what, the, the riots, was it Mark Duggan thing? But I remember there were riots, I remember, on my street. And I've said, jokingly, I would riot if there was a no deal. And I, and I, I've, I, mean, I sort of mean that, actually. If there was a no deal and we crash out, I, and I don't mean riot, I'm not going <laughs> to... Okay, what's well, rising? Mean I mean, mean raise a your bloody voice. angry protest. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm a sweary placard. Um, I use all caps on Twitter I, for a week. You know, <laughs> I do that I'm all the time anyway. It's fine. I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, as much as I would have loved a magic one solution, I, yeah, that, it, it can't. It can't happen. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, can we just ask, before we move on? Um, this idea of remain and reform, which of course is, is one of the things that we talk about as a people's vote option to try and kind of win people who are more Eurosceptic over to the remain cause. What do you think, I mean, you know, whether it would be revoking Article 50, whether it be the people's vote going the right way, is the rest of the EU up for this idea of being reformed with Britain, with Britain going, we're going to be at the centre and we're going to help change you. <laughs> like, have we, have we squandered a little goodwill? <laughs> I mean, you'd need a complete regime change, wouldn't you, to be taken seriously? So it wouldn't just be a question of us revoking Article 50. You'd need to change everybody that had anything to do with this whole debacle um, to untaint ourselves, I think. So what would that look like? A Corbyn-led a Corbyn, a Corbyn government. Um, yeah, what would that look like? But it wouldn't be a Corbyn-led government because he doesn't like the EU very much. No, no, exactly, I didn't. I don't. I, mean, d- I, I, think, I think it's... I would never underestimate the anger that led to the, uh, to, led to the Brexit vote. I would never underestimate how pissed off people are. I think what they're angry with is not the EU. I think they were angry with things uh, about the state of the country, about austerity, about all those kind of other things. And um, that is what has to be acknowledged and with what the t- uh, Conservative Party cannot acknowledge. Um, that is why, ultimately, I think Corbyn is in a stronger position because he has answers to some of the questions which are not the EU and which people are concerned about. The t- Conservatives do not. And when I say answers, I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to work. I'm saying that he has those answers. And he has them ready. And he has the money for the NHS. And he has a social programme. And that, I think, will hold out a great deal of appeal if there it comes the crunch and we change government. There is one concern I have, by the way, which is that the sort of regime change operates on both sides. And there are elections in May uh, for the European Parliament. And I think that could go really fucking terribly wrong if you look at the kind of patterns of voting behaviour that's been happening over Europe. And the Europe that we see, you know, in June may be a, a, a pretty, pretty, pretty bleak one, to be honest. And I think Remainers need to start thinking emotionally how that's going to feel because we're quite used to thinking the immovable force is that the EU talks like it's sane and we're the ones that have gone mad it's quite possible that there'll be an awful lot of madness coming from Europe as well once we get into the summer. Just to cheer everyone up over there. Let's, 
so depressed. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I suppose, and you can see that with... with, with uh, I mean, I know it's not a movement, it's only a lot of parties, it's not even a movement, it doesn't seem to know what it wants, but the, the, the yellow vest yeah, movement, yeah, yeah. which is kind of spreading a little to other countries, just seems like there's a lot... We can be very inward-looking and go, well, what's Britain going to do? What's our relationship with Europe? But obviously there's kind of... There's fires to put out all, all across Europe. I've never spoken to anyone in the EU that thought that it wouldn't have happened in their country if they'd held the kind of referendum that we held. Everyone in Europe thinks the same. So actually, the funny thing is, at the sort of political level in Europe, there's not that much judgment over sort of the, the way the result went. There is of... They thought our political class were ultimately... Had a sort of a kind of dull competence to them. And it turns out they are dull, but not competent. And, <laughs> but nevertheless, in the terms genius of... genius like, of Theresa May. Yeah, I know. Really, she ticks all the boxes. Like... But it, but it definitely was the case that they think that there is a Western problem, you know, authoritarian, reactionary, sort of nativism. You know, that is well recognised. I'm not saying anything remarkable here. And they are aware that that is in all countries. And exactly, you look at the, you look at the yellow jackets, you look right now at the way that people are trying to impose some kind of political meaning on what is going on in France. And it's actually pretty hard to do. There's a mixture of right and left, and, and it's a more instinctive, emotional sort of attitude. You know, this is not something that is constrained only to here. It's just that we are the ones that have managed to insert it directly into the way that our country operates on the most fundamental possible level. Yeah, we did it better. Because we're, <laughs> because we're better. Other people, they've got there's political chaos floating around, but we, we distilled it, we put it into a syringe, and we just injected it straight into the bloodstream. So, well done, Britain. <laughs> right, because it's Christmas, we've got presents under the tree for the panel with a question to answer for each of them. Uh, this time next year, those presents will be powdered egg or some second-hand toilet paper. Um, <laughs> Let me just check. This is not usually how Christmas works, by the way. You get given a present and then made to answer a question. It's so, is, it, is it not in your house? Not, yeah. not so much, actually. This year, it will this year. This is going to be... Oh, thank you for me. Thank you so much. I've oh, got it. Yeah, it's no expense open. spares. Look at this. There's going to be a question in I here. don't know. This oh, is producer God. Andrew, so I don't know what's in it. It's a mystery. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, it's a blue passport. <laughs> Your question is, um, what tips can you give British people going on the holidays in Europe next year? Uh, when, if? We leave the EU. Uh, okay. okay. Um, learn to swim, because uh, there's no other way of getting to mainland Europe if we crash out with no deal after March 29th. Um, I've looked into it. I thought, because obviously, um, as is well known by now, um, air travel will be compromised if we crash out without a deal. Um, I thought I found a way around it. I was like, what, what about Eurostar? It's a train. <laughs> no, still, still the same. Apparently, it still applies to trains. Um, so, yes, yeah, so you could swim across the channels. Just learn to swim really well. Um, there is a plus side, I found out, which is that if we do crash out and we, become, uh, we have third country status, we get really cheap cigarettes and booze. Oh, now you're Almost. talking. Almost. Do you know that thing when you're used to, as someone who's a, a, an ardent Remainer, 
only seen negatives in, in any article about Brexit. Like, why would anyone do this? No, another thing. And then I read that thing about, but you would get cheap cigarettes and booze. And I was like, I had to reread it to make sure there was a, there was a plus side of Brexit. Um, it's quite a big one, actually. Maybe we should do out, a but, plus um, side of Brexit episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the plus side of Brexit. Um, well, no, let's not. Um, but they, yeah, so, so, so that's the one good thing. Um, but it's just, it's just going to be a, bureaucratic nightmare um as all of it will be um and i know it's you know it's quite fun sometimes to go oh no deal um you have to get your dog shot uh, before you go to <laughs> not that's not quite if you want to get take it to france he has to be dead for and then yeah, it doesn't it doesn't but um and it is it sort of becomes almost like a it's like a gay i quite enjoy it i get quite into it like oh my god how much can brexit fuck things up and then you realize uh, it's not a game and also this is why this is why we're in trouble because things like travelling abroad it will just become a nightmare of, of red tape and, and queues and you know we'll still be able to do it uh, probably um, it'll just take longer and be more inconvenient and annoying we'll have to have visas to go to Europe and, and, and actually that's not that much of a problem because to go to America you need a visa and it doesn't take that long you go on the internet but it's still it's just annoying and um, actually Naomi, Naomi uh, Smith our Romaniac uh, she's here somewhere Naomi where are you? There you go. I can't... That was... That's a very low voice, Naomi, suddenly. Um, yeah, she said she, she had a really good idea, which was that why don't... Why don't we should imp- implement for a week... Uh, we should do a sort of Brexit scenario for a week so that everyone would, would, would experience what it would actually be like. That just the, the day-to-day shit that we'd have to deal with if we crashed out of the EU, because I think then after that week, people would be like, oh, you know what? <laughs> that wasn't a good idea. Um, and, yeah. yeah. I would like to see some parallel... There's a lot of parallel universes that I'd just like to see. If we could make a decision based on... I'd, I'd have to hash out the scientific details of this. <laughs> but if we could just travel to parallel timelines and just see what happens. As here's Labour's negotiating a deal. Here's no yeah. deal. Really good episode of Doctor Who. It would be a good, really good informative, educational <laughs> yeah, yeah. episode of Doctor Who. But whereas just like the planet of the No Deal Brexit. <laughs> oh, Doctor, help! There's no, t- there's no toilet paper and lots of red tape. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but again, you know, looking into when I was looking into all, this, all this, the shit that you'd have to deal with if you if you try and travel post Brexit, uh, post No Deal Brexit. What what's really struck me was that. The people that I trust and have and, and trust and, and that are the most are sort of showing themselves to be the people that in this whole process I get, oh thank God for you, thank God you exist, are lawyers. Interestingly. And it's um, you know, like Jolien Morm, who who's the chap who essentially there you go. Um, has has fought valiantly to sort of make it possible for us to revoke, you know, unilaterally revoke uh, Article 50. Or, and if you look at actually the people in in the in the Conservative Party, who Anna Soubry and Dominic Grieve, and they're we and well, and then the people in sort of uh, People's Vote campaign, uh, Chuck Omana and David Lammy, they're all lawyers because they get it, they understand that d- that Brexit is is boring. It's about detail. Being in the EU is so boring. It's like. But the, the, the people who want to leave are these glib sort of chances who, who don't care about detail and the boring stuff and they want to gloss over it and that's why we're in, in this mess because you have to believe the boring people. That's good. And, and us who are not boring. Also. <laughs> not, I'm, no, I wasn't saying about you. <laughs> well. 
Oh, I'm boring now. <laughs> That's not what I um, No, we're going to take a short 15-minute break so you can get a drink uh, and try and organise a foolproof campaign to secure and win a people's vote. Don't forget to check out our Romaniacs Christmas market in the foyer with lovely presents for the Romania in your life and passive-aggressive gifts for the Brexiter. <laughs> All made in Leave Voting Bradford because no hard feelings. Uh, we'll see you in about 15 minutes. Thank you. Thank you. 